Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, oh, new leadership over there at USSF, allegedly. Cleopatra, blue checks, CCL, title races, Wrexham, and so much more. First joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, April 24th in the year 2023? What a world we live in. I am doing well. Excited to be here on a day with some big U.S. Soccer Federation news, as you oh, mentioned. Yeah, all sorts of stuff uh, stuff going on. Hey, Mossy, a couple things before we get into what we watched, because um, it, it's uh, referencing back a couple of pods ago. I put out on uh, on Twitter a um, a poll relative to something that we had talked about, and I can't remember what your uh, take was. Can you say you read a book if you only listen to it on audio? Because I, I only listen to books now on audio. I listen to them at, at uh, I'll be honest, double speed. Uh, I don't do the traditional reading anymore. So when I'm talking to you or anybody else, even on the pod when we talk about stuff that we've read or seen or something like that, am I, am I allowed to say that I read that book? Yes. Okay. The yeses have it. And if it happened on uh, Twitter, then you know that this is... Uh, reality, right? So yeses have it at almost 60%, uh, 60%, 58.4%, the noes at 41.6%, almost 4,000 people voted. So there was, this was back and forth. I got like librarians and professors and all sorts of people uh, uh, adamant uh, about it. And then, you know, you get called ageist if you possibly don't believe this or uh, no ableist. Sorry, I get my ists all uh, confused. Anyway, uh, it's, I think it's an interesting way to look at things because obviously in the traditional and the definition sense, you didn't read the book. But a lot of people's point was as long as you are absorbing the information. Um, but but then you kind of would have to say, hey, I absorbed this book the other day, which sounds kind of stupid anyway. So I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, oh, you got something to say? On it? I think I read a book works as an umbrella term for any consumption of the book's information. Can you say that you talked to somebody if you uh, texted with them? Yes. Really? <sighs> wow. Okay. We live in interesting times. Okay. Um, this gets, uh, you know, this was all done on, on Twitter. By the way, Mossy, do, do you think that I should, uh, or you or anybody else out there, should uh, pay for this uh, blue check? Honestly, as I've told you, I'm not that into Twitter. Uh, oh, I, I, love Twitter. I, I must be a disappointing follow because <laughs> I tweet like once in a blue moon. Uh, I merely respond to questions people ask me who listen to the pod. Uh, so I don't know what this whole controversy is about. To be honest, I'm only vaguely familiar yeah, with. It's, uh, uh, it's not that big a controversy. Yeah. I mean, you do it. Don't do it. I, I love Twitter. And so it's a it's a service that I use and I find benefit to it. It's not perfect like anything else. So I would I would pay for Twitter, I think if it was just all subscription. And this is a case where you just get that blue check, which is something that I had for many, many years, and it went away for pretty much everybody, except for elites of the elites, or people that actually uh, pay for it. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna pay for it. It's a good, it's a, you know, it's a good service. I watch uh, Bill Maher's show every yes. week on HBO, and he did mention this past Friday that Elon Musk will be a guest on the next- Ooh, uh, interesting. I mean, the, the dude, the dude says and does interesting things with his billions and billions of, uh, 
uh, of dollars out there. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, if he, he provides a service that I find of value, I'm going to pay for it. And I think if you pay for it, you get, uh, you can, you can do longer video. You can do, you have the edit function to be able to do th so things. So you gotta, you have to make it worth people's while ultimately, but yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it. Um, you read anything or watch anything, my friend? Well, we talked about this on our last pod. The Real Madrid Barcelona rivalry had taken a weird turn uh, <laughs> as people started yeah. relitigating re the Spanish Civil War and arguing about which club is the regime's team. And that has sent me down a Spanish Civil War rabbit hole. I watched an excellent documentary on Netflix called The Two Catalonias, which is about uh, the Catalan campaign for independence mm -hmm. and this very controversial referendum in 2017. And I have ordered on Amazon this book, Spain in Our Hearts, which is about Americans who volunteered to fight the Spanish Civil War. The book arrived late last night. I'm excited to start reading it this week. So that's going to be my next book. So where do you fall now on the Catalan uh, debate? Do you think that it should be its own sovereign, uh, independent nation? I don't know enough about it to have a strong oh, opinion. Oh, you. But Come I, on. I was surprised to find that there is this silent majority in Catalonia that was very much against independence. Uh, I sort of had this image that every single person walking around that region believes in that. And actually, they showed in the documentary massive rallies of people waving Spanish flags in the streets of Barcelona and who are strongly against it. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, that, uh, let's see. What did I see? Uh, a, a couple of things. You know, I'm on my, my uh, old movie kick. So that continues on. And now I'm on a Elizabeth Taylor uh, kick. So I watched uh, from 1958, Cat on a, tot, uh, on a Hot Tin Roof. Awesome um, Tennessee Williams play. Uh, and this is the, obviously the film version of starring Paul Newman and Elizabeth Taylor. And by the way, Burl Ives, who was incredible in this. And then the 1963 Cleopatra film, a classic and epic starring Elizabeth Taylor and Rex Harrison and Richard Burton. Both of them hold up. They're, they're incredible filmmaking and incredible uh, performances uh, and uh, recommend them both. And then much more modern. Well, see, do you have this effect? Maybe maybe some of our viewers and listeners out there have it. You know, that whole pandemic uh, thing that we went through, obviously a lot of people had times where they had to isolate and they were alone. And so you pulled up stuff that you could watch. And there's stuff that I watched that I don't remember watching. And this is the case with Nicole Kidman in a, a movie called Destroyer a 2018 film that came out. It was kind of an independent film. I watched it during the pandemic and I pulled it up the other day and only about halfway through did I realize that I had watched it. And so some of that pandemic stuff is just such a crazy, crazy blur. It's still a, a, an incredible performance and a really interesting and weird type of uh, whodunit about this uh, cop who had previously been undercover, but I do recommend it. It's called Destroyer, and it came out, I think, in 2018. And this is not the only movie that I've had this, this, ha this effect happen, where I pull it up and say, wait a second, I saw this, but it was just kind of fast food-ish type of viewing that was happening during that pandemic. Uh, anything else, my friend? That's it. All right. Ready, uh, ready, are you ready to light this candle? Let me enunciate that. Are you ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Where should we start? Well, there's only one place to start, right? Big news, big news. We've spent the last two months talking about these U.S. Soccer Federation vacancies. Uh, a big one is about to be filled. There are widespread reports that uh, U.S. Soccer is set to hire Matt Crocker as the new sporting director. We're taping this on a Monday. They've announced a press conference tomorrow, in which presumably they're going to reveal him as the new sporting director. Uh, he comes from Southampton, where he was director of football operations. Previous to that, he worked for the FA, overseeing England's youth teams during a period of great success for England at youth level, in which they pumped out lots of good players and won the under-17 and under-20 World Cups. I must confess, I had never heard of this guy until the last couple of days, but at least on paper, based on his resume, he seems to be an intriguing choice. Yeah, uh, credit should go also to the Athletic uh, that broke this story, and this is a you know this is a big story within our soccer. Uh, <laughs> world, uh, and maybe it has tentacles outside of it to to a certain extent because I think people recognize that you know the United States Soccer Federation is in this moment of change. Some would call it turmoil. I don't necessarily think it is. I just think it's a moment of change, and the pressures and the frustration and the exasperation certainly coming from from outside about these roles not being fill, uh, filled, and therefore us kind of being 
in uh, in stasis. Um, I don't think that there is a whole lot of knowledge when it comes to the you know the American side of this of uh, Mr. Crocker, but as far as a, as a resume goes, I think he, he checks some boxes here or there with both work in men's and women's. Because keep in mind, this is the position for sporting director that Ernie Stewart vacated. And this oversees all of that competitive side of national teams, uh, men's and women's both sides. So he would be coming in and being, you know, for example, the boss of Kate Margraff. And then we still don't know yet whether the Brian McBride role is going to be filled as a GM specifically to the men's team. But if there was a person that came in in that position, then I would assume he would also be uh, the boss of that person. But I think his first order of business when he comes in is to sort out the uh, the men's side and get a coach in as as soon as possible. Uh, again, if this is if this is all true, and we're going off of you know good reporting, and you know where there is there is smoke, this is there is fire. I do think that. The uh, the justification for this hire is going to be expected, maybe more so than it has been in the past, given the history and how did this all come about? Who else was in- interviewed? What was the interview process? Why was this individual uh, ahead of the uh, ahead of the rest? I, look, I just want a warm body at this point. And if this is the body that they're going with, great. I wish him all the luck in the world. I want him to be successful. I want him to lead us, hopefully, on and off the field to positive and successful things, not the least of which is, I suppose he would be in before the Women's World Cup and then into uh, into 2026. So that there is actual movement, that there is an actual human being, that's great. I look forward to U.S. soccer explaining how the process, because this is the world that they have created where we need to know everything and wh- how and why this was actually 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 done and I, I don't know if, if 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 that's not if that's something we shouldn't know but I think that you know it deserves an explanation as to how they came to this decision because this is a an important position of leadership uh, with power and with influence at a time when we cannot afford to get this wrong now, in the wake of the Burhalter Reina Michigas, there's mm-hmm. been this uh, growing sentiment that U.S. soccer needed to hire a quote-unquote outsider. And lots of people, including recent guests of this podcast, Taylor Twelman, are praising this appointment for that reason. Um, you have kind of bristled at those suggestions. So does the fact that this guy is a quote-unquote outsider in any way enhance his candidacy to you or, or diminish it? Or what do you make of it? Oh I, oh, I think it enhances the image of USSF. And keep in mind, this might not have been their, if this is the choice, this may not have been their first choice. There may have been others. We already heard rumors that there were, uh, there were those that, uh, that turned this, this position down and just said, you know, for whatever reason, it could be money, it could be the headache, it could be a perception, whether it's the reality or not, of a problematic organization that's going to take a lot to fix and not a, a job that somebody wanted, to, uh, somebody wanted to do. But absolutely, Mossy. I think that whether it's the reality uh, or the perception, I think that the United States Soccer Federation is and has been incredibly sensitive to the outside critique and criticism uh, and accusations of, you know, whether it's the nepotism or the cronyism or the systemic old boy, old girl network that exists. And so, you know, maybe in a certain sense that can hurt somebody that is of that community. Um, but, you know, this is, this is what has been created. And so this is the reality of, of, of what's going on. Like, you can't tell me that there is not somebody who has been around American soccer, who has a history that has a knowledge and has success within American soccer that isn't available and couldn't do, and, and couldn't do this job. Maybe that person was interviewed. Who knows? Maybe that person doesn't uh, doesn't want to do it. So there are, there are quality candidates out there that are quote unquote American, not even quote unquote. It's they are they are American uh, relative to relative to Crocker. But again, all of the the criticism that came and the you know the the, the worry that it was just going to be an, another one of the people that we know. This is on the surface going outside of that. And maybe that's good. 
But don't think for a second that he or anybody else doesn't come with their own set of baggage and their own set of history and their own set of biases when it comes to the things that they do. And that's normal because he's a, <laughs> last I checked, he is a human being. And so all of us humans are going to, uh, are, are going to, are going to come with that. But, you know, I, I don't care where the person ultimately is from. I want them to do a good job. I want them to be able to set a course that is achievable, that is, that is to a certain extent visionary, and that gets us to a better place. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how he is going to approach it, but I would think he would come in and I would think that he would immerse himself in the good, bad, and the ugly that has existed for now decades, because there is a lot of good, and you certainly don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater if you're smart. And I will be interested if and when that assessment of his happens, what he comes to find out in terms of what that good is, what that bad is, and what that ugly is. And maybe that set of fresh eyes will help correct some of the mistakes and improve some of the successes that we have already had, but ultimately get us to a better place because 2026 is right around the corner and maximizing it on and off the field has to be a priority for this federation and they need individuals, men and women that are quality, regardless of where they come from, that understand, um, have, take a pride in what they're doing, have a respect for the positions of leadership that they are in and ultimately do their job. Now, I mentioned he came from Southampton. Interestingly enough, that is the club that recently tried to hire Jesse Marsh, but Jesse turned down the job. Lots of people are connecting those dots, including another recent guest of this podcast, Doug McIntyre. Mm -hmm. He tweeted that this appointment makes Marsh now the odds-on favorite to be the next U.S. coach. Is that how you see it? Uh, well, again, it goes back to you know biases that people come with and baggage that people uh, come with. And you know if he's coming in, uh, you know, all already hot and bothered and uh, not bothered, but excited about the potential of Jesse Marsh, which obviously in previous positions he has had an affinity for, then that certainly puts Jesse in a, in a better position. And again, this isn't to say that he's not going to, I, I would hope, do his due diligence if and when he is hiring somebody and make sure that he has a good collection of candidates. But if that's somebody that he that he really likes and in this position he sees is the best uh, best candidate it's going to come from a position of him understanding and having a knowledge and already showing a, a flirtation in the past with him so yeah i think but i think Jesse was always going to be a part of that conversation no matter what but again in in life you have to have connections you have to have relationships you have to have con contacts and when you have them utilizing them and maximizing them, uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. If uh, Matt Crocker had any sense of humor, he would appoint one of his relatives as the <laughs> next manager. But, you know, you do hear whenever an American goes to work mm -hmm. abroad, you do hear that they need to understand the soccer culture of that country. Uh, when it works the other way, to what degree does Matt Crocker now need to immerse himself in American soccer culture and, and really understand what that is? What, what, how would you define American soccer culture, I guess, is where we should start out. I would define it as incredibly complex and incredibly, at times, frustrating probably. But also, that's not an excuse for not understanding it. And that's certainly not an excuse for ignoring it. Not that, not that he or anybody would do that. But again... I think inherent in this, this position in this job is a recognition that you are going to do the things if you don't have that intrinsic knowledge and that, uh, and that history within the game of immersing yourself in it and understanding because there's no way you can understand the challenges that you have unless you have some, some nuance, unless you have some depth, unless you have some understanding. And that can be, that can be gotten. <laughs> you know, this is, yes, it's complex, but again, immersing yourself in the country and culture that you are working for and that you are working to improve, I think that's, that's a no brainer. I don't think that's crazy <laughs> to, to expect 
and and I would say from an eternal perspective here, USSF insist that somebody do that. And I think, yeah, because I don't think one, you're not doing your job, and two, I think you're you're playing you're not giving yourself every opportunity to do the best job that you possibly can if you don't understand it. And, and again, a, a new set of eyes may look at it and say, well, in the past, okay, so now I understand this situation relative to American soccer and this, you know, whether it's our, our youth systems uh, or our college system or all that. And in the past, this was the answer to this question that we were asking. I'm gonna have a different answer because of you know all of the history that I that I have, and maybe a, a seed that was planted long ago in his experience in Europe, in his experience uh, growing up, in his experience in the men's and women's game, brings something new in terms of looking at you know situations that have long been there and challenges that have long been there. At least that's that's the ho- that's the hope that you get. And ultimately, this is a national team. Okay, this isn't a this isn't a club team. This is a national team. And a national team, obviously, represents a nation. So you are now a representative of the United States of America. And again, in the same way that I don't want a mercenary running around on the field representing my country, I don't want someone working for that team that represents my country that is in there simply in a mercenary capacity. And so after you get paid and after all the hoopla, you certainly, I would hope, would feel something for the good that you are doing through soccer for what I feel is the greatest country in the world. And I hope that Mr. Crocker, anybody who is working there, is able to tap into that pride. Because without it, then it's just another job. And this is not just another job. And of course, they still have to hire a men's general manager, correct? Well, I mean, yes, in that there is that empty position. And there was the thought that possibly they would just split them off. And so uh, Crocker would be the head of the men's side. But that has been, it's been very clear that he is taking Ernie Stewart's position and is in charge of all of it. And look, given his background, especially when it comes to the women's game, he he kind of i think it checks it checks some boxes there and it and it lends itself to a much more expansive type of overseeing of all of these national teams and all of these and these programs on on both sides but then it it still remains to be seen does that my Brian McBride position of gm specifically for the men's team is it filled or does it need to be filled going forward i mean because then you're adding another layer and somebody else's voice into who is ultimately picking that coach. So this is only that first step. There might be that second step, which is the GM, and then that third step, which may be the most important one from an outside perspective of naming naming the coach. But at least this is movement. At least this is uh, this is forward movement. And if this ends up being true, uh, I, I wish him all the luck in the world. I can't wait to meet him and kind of hear how he thinks about the position, what his vision is, and again, ask him what has been done that has been good and what has been done that has been bad. And maybe he's going to take some time to try to figure that out. But time's a ticking, man. You got to hit the ground running. And if I were him and I already know that I have this job, I would have already been immersed just to get the job and be even more so now going forward so that you can hit that ground running immediately when the official announcement happens. And behind the scenes, you're probably already doing it. If nothing else, he's a good looking man, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, he looks he looks good. I mean, having good looking people around is a good thing, right? <laughs> All right. So so big news and hopefully good and positive news going forward for uh for this federation that has been criticized and, and maligned uh, publicly and privately now for a number of years, much of it fair, some of it some of it unfair, but looking to head in a new and positive direction, and like I said, maximize twenty twenty six. Mac uh, Matt Crocker, welcome. Uh, shifting gears to MLS, we're coming off another busy weekend. Uh, one of the marquee games, Nashville LAFC. Nashville took a 1-0 lead thanks to Hani Mukhtar. Uh, they subbed off Walker Zimmerman in the second half. Gary Smith came out afterwards and said that Walker was complaining of groin tightness. Uh, but his departure obviously made Nashville's defense more vulnerable. And uh, Dennis Buanga equalized. 
12 goals in 12 games in all competitions for him this season. It ended 1-1. So LAFC, the only remaining unbeaten in the league, uh, avoid their first defeat. And Boanga, how about Boanga? I mean, his goal, he got that ball, he turned, he ran upfield for those that didn't watch it, and it, he had options, but those options might have might as well have just gotten, gone and sat on the bench because there was only one thing that he was doing, and he, st- he struck it just so sweet and hard. And he, he basically said to everybody in the stadium, I'm shooting this, and I'm shooting this over there on the right side, and still it went exactly where, where it went. And that was just, that's just one of many moments now of a player who is playing with just incredible confidence as, as is his team uh, around him. And, you know, I mean, I, I, we'll talk later on about uh, CCL, but I cannot wait to see how this team continues to, uh, to evolve. But it's a good result for uh for uh for lac to go into uh to go into nashville and they just keep getting better and stronger through the year uh seattle bounced back from that loss to portland by beating minnesota 1-0 albert rusnak with the only goal his first of the campaign yeah i mean it was a win wasn't a decisive type of uh win from uh from seattle and you know that that rusnak it's not an experiment anymore because he's he's a quality player and he's part of that team. But coming over from RSL and you know going on the in the free agency type of situation and playing in a little very in a different type of way. And so this this is the type type of moments that you kind of paid for and want, but they have been few and far between. I'm not saying that the, Rus- the Rusnak, the acquisition from Seattle, has been bad, but that he ended up getting the goal the goal that mattered and the goal that uh, got three points. You like to see that for a player that uh, I think was much more impactful at RSL. And I'm not saying he can't be it with Seattle, but every impactful moment like it was here is another feather in his cap. NYCFC 3-1 home win over Dallas, their second straight victory. The Pigeons move up to fourth in the East. Interestingly enough, Tyler's Magno is now back on the wing. Mm-hmm. Newly acquired Richie Ledesma is playing as the 10, and Santi Rodriguez has pushed up as that false nine. And the pieces are fitting nicely. This was an impressive performance and a good result. The pieces are fitting nicely, and the reason why it's so impressive is that they're not even close to done. They are going to make changes, and they are going to have additions. And this is not just the only team we've talked. Uh, you know, we talk, I was talking to somebody about uh, the um, the need for a striker, and obviously the U.S. and my kingdom for a striker up top. Well, there's teams all over the world that are looking for that striker, and and NYCFC is is looking for a true number nine up top. By the way, Austin is looking for for one. I mean, you could say others, and there's plenty of other teams out there. But NYCFC, as a team in transition, to still be able to go at home. I say home with quotes, <laughs> at least in a baseball field, uh, and to and to beat a good team in FC Dallas with the knowledge that you are only going to improve. That's a good direction to be going in for an NYCFC team that, while it has had success over the last couple of years, there was kind of a, a belief and a recognition that with all the moves and all the changes that they were less than elite. And a reminder, the deadline is this week. We'll talk about that a lot on our next pod. Uh, how about Tom Bogert leaving MLSsoccer.com to go to the Athletic? Big move, big move, big transfer, big transfer, uh, big transfer uh, involving the transfer guru. Exactly, the transfer guru. And what'll be interesting to see is, you know, when you are now with this with this outfit, you know, how many tips are you getting? Do the tips change? Do uh, you're obviously being acquired for your skill? And he's wonderful for the for those that don't know. He's written about the league for a long time, and he is. Um, incredible at getting information and scoops, uh, ultimately. And that's what they are buying, if you will, in terms of this uh, in terms of this move. And so you better hope the well doesn't dry up. As a matter of fact, that well better be deeper, and you better bring it on a consistent basis. And I think he will. He's, he's, uh, he's quality. He's also a big Knicks fan. He's excited about their playoff run, as am I, as is our director, Aaron Schechter. There's a whole Knicks brigade here. They're in the, uh, the playoffs of the NBA? Correct. Who are they playing? Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, LeBron, right? No, LeBron, LeBron's <laughs> the other. Okay, he plays. Uh, he plays in Miami. Um, okay, go on. 
Uh, one more game. Atlanta defeated Chicago 2-1 to one on FS1. Uh, Jakumaki scored again, but then picked up a hamstring injury. Tiago Almada also had to come off. Chicago equalized late. Looks like it would look like it was they were going to get a point, but then ninety plus nine, an own goal gives Atlanta the victory. Uh, look, it, they'll take it any way they, they can get it, um, and they were putting incredible pressure on at the end there. So, in this world where we we like to say deserved, but you know what ultimately is deserved, an own goal, <laughs> uh, they'll take it. But it's a concern when the guy that's been scoring and scoring consistently. Uh, gets hurt, right? So that's a problem, and I don't like to see a Greek go, a Greek go down. And they play Atlanta plays uh, Nashville, I think, uh, next week. My my, you can look it up because I'm going to tell a little story here. My son, who yeah, he's 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 into soccer only only that uh, that he's that is my son. We've now started to do a uh, a thing where we pick every single game from the MLS weekend. So on the way to school today, we were going through all of the different games and yes, uh, Atlanta goes to Nashville. And so maybe, maybe on uh, Wednesday's um, show, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you mine and uh, both of our picks uh, for the MLS, the MLS weekend. And he's the one that reminded me because we had forgotten to do it the previous week. And he's dad, because he just likes any opportunity to uh, have one up on me and certainly picking a winning team or a losing team or being right over his father is something that he, uh, that he loves to do. Uh, anything else, Mossy, MLS-wise? No, but we can transition to CCL okay. because the semifinals get underway this week. On Tuesday, the All-League MX tie. We have Tigres hosting Leon. And then Wednesday, an All-MLS matchup. Philadelphia will host LAFC. The return legs are the following week. Oh, and by the way, uh, neither Philadelphia or LAFC, and I was talking about my son going over the, the, um, the, this coming weekend's games, neither of them are playing, so they'll be rested for, their, uh, for the second, uh, second leg. Okay. Um, okay, so, so uh, say it again. Uh, it's, which one's Wednesday, or which one's Tuesday? Uh, Tigres Leon. Mm, okay, I got... Um, Ugh, Tigres. What do you think? I lean Tigres as you, well. You for the game or, or for the... To advance. To advance out of the two games. Right. You lean Tigres. Yes. But you can be convinced, Leon, or no? Yeah, I think it's pretty close. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right, I'm going Tigres. Um, and I'm still... Uh, I think LAFC is just ultimately better than Philly in, uh, in two games. So I'm going to go... I'm going to go LAFC. I, it, it hurts me. I'm sure Jim, Jim Curtin will text me and scream and yell at me. Or I, you know, my, it's not the kiss of death. It's the kiss of life when I pick against you. So um, I, I, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about what these two teams, I'm talking about LAFC and Philly, that know each other so well and obviously now have this, I guess it's a rivalry now, considering MLS uh, MLS Cup and everything that they ultimately done. And as we said during MLS Cup, the different ways in which they have come to success, uh, but also the opportunity to win CONCACAF Champions League and in consecutive years have an MLS team win con uh, CONCACAF Champions League and that carrot of, again, going to uh, the Club World Cup and representing not just your team, not just MLS, but obviously... Uh, so I'm excited about that. That's it. That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll take a trip, uh, trip around some of the uh, big results over there in Europe and uh, maybe even a look ahead. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's take a trip around uh, Europe, uh, Mossy, shall we? Where, where, uh, where do you want to start first? We begin in England where on Friday, Arsenal continued their implosion with a 3-3 home draw against last place Southampton. I know they rallied from 3-1 down late, thanks to goals by Odegaard and Saka to at least salvage a draw. But nevertheless, this was a terrible result and I think increases the sensation that uh, 
Manchester City are going to win the Premier League. Are you comfortable saying that, or I mean, do you, do you believe that if I had, if we had to go to Vegas right now and you had to bet on a team to win, given where it stands right now, you would put your money on Man City? Absolutely, the gap is five, right? but City have played uh, two fewer games, and those two teams will meet Wednesday at the Etihad. Yes, by the time you listen to our second show of the week, that game will have happened, and that, I mean, I guess potentially that could decide it. Because there's still some things that could happen. And winning out the games in hand still has to be won out. Uh, it's Man City and they're they're a really good, they're a really good team. But I, I had to explain again to my my son, I was talking about this with him and explained a six point game and you know how you look at it as, well, this is both the team that you're chasing, and therefore you're stopping them from getting three points, but you're also adding three points in that chase uh coming up behind. And again, I think Man City right now is is just very comfortable and loving this position that they are in. And I think that you're seeing a still relatively young and naive type of arsenal in a place that they've never, well, that this group has never been. And it's within their sight. And that last mile is often the most difficult. And so, I mean, this was this was bad because everybody said, all right, Southampton, worst team in the league. This is an automatic three points. And they gifted one in the first minute of the game. And you look around and say, all right, well, that was crazy. They'll get over that. And they have 89 minutes to, to figure it out. And they just kept doing dumb things and set pieces and, and this and that. It's, it, it's almost as if they, they, they're scared to win it. Arsenal are scared to win Premier League. The third goal was extraordinary because that might have been the only time Southampton crossed the halfway line in the second half and they earned the corner and then scored from it. I, I know Arsenal were missing William Saliba, but that's not an excuse for giving up three goals at home to Southampton. All right, so 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 Wednesday, what uh, what's going to happen here? Uh, City will win that match. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was short and sweet. Yes. Uh, Manchester City, incidentally, still chasing a treble. They did not play in the Premier League this week, and instead they played in the FA Cup. They beat Sheffield United in the semis, 3-0. Riyad Mahrez with a hat-trick. And then the following day, Manchester United defeated Brighton on penalties after a scoreless draw. So for the first time ever, the FA Cup final will be a Manchester derby. Isn't that amazing? It's the first time ever? I mean... And and I'm I'm all for it. I mean that whole drama and story of red, blue, this side, that side, uh, OGs, nouveau riche, all of that kind of stuff is now on display, and the tides have significantly tur turned in terms of where Man City sits at this point relative to Manchester United. Now Manchester United has been in worse positions, but that battle for hearts and minds that happens in a place like Man City. And because these are two now global brands, the battle extends well, be well beyond Manchester. But I'm excited. I would watch it, you know, simply because this is for bragging rights within that city. I'm going to do a little ad-libbing in this segment, Ooh, okay. much, much to Sean Sullivan's chagrin. Yeah, we know. Uh, it sounds like Chelsea's next manager will be Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, but he would only take over in the summer, and we expect Christian Pulisic to leave, so he will never actually manage him. But nevertheless, he's emerged as the favorite there, Pochettino. You happy with this? I mean, he, 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 there, are, there are Poch fans. I mean, Ali Wagner worships at the altar of Pochettino. Well, she does because she's a Tottenham fan. Exactly. It'll be interesting to see how she reacts to him taking over at Chelsea. I think that she would find it within her heart and soul because ultimately she's a romantic and she... She loved him for what he did and the way that uh, that he did it, and so I think that you know, doesn't mean she's not that she's you know would be suddenly suddenly be a Chelsea fan, but I think she I think she'll give him plenty of love. I continue to say a good destination for Pulisic would be Newcastle. We had a Newcastle fan on Twitter implore us to give them some love today, and I will because they hammered Tottenham six one. Speaking of Spurs, there you go. Yep, Alexander <laughs> Isak, Joe Ellington Company putting on a show. It is now looking like Newcastle are going to finish in the top four and will be in the Champions League next season. And, you know, they've done it with smart hiring and, uh, yes, an influx of new ownership and therefore new money, but there are plenty of players that have been around that are still, uh, that are still contributing. 
And, you know, this is kind of what you wanted, right? This is the proof of concept in terms of the new ownership and the new direction. And next year, if, if, if all goes well, playing in the, uh, in the Champions League and that reemergence of this once great but always big club to a stature that I think Newcastle fans and, and fans alike have kind of expected and not got. Yeah, Warren Bart and I text after every Newcastle oh game. God. He is in dreamland he right now. He must be insufferable. Right <laughs> goodness. More so than normal. Good God. Uh, in, I love you, Warren. In Germany, Bayern Munich con- continued their recent freefall. A 3-1 defeat away to Mainz. They actually took the lead through Sadio Mane and then conceded three unanswered goals. That's three defeats in seven games for Tuchel. Nagelsmann lost three times in 37 games this season. Uh, and that opened the door for Dortmund, who this weekend did not falter. 4-0 home win over Eintracht Frankfurt. Malin with two goals. Bellingham and Hummels got the others. Gio Reyna's reward for his goal against Stuttgart was to be an unused substitute in this one. Uh, but nevertheless, Dortmund leapfrogged Bayern. They are now one point ahead with five to go in Germany. Well, so I asked you, uh, you were comfortable saying that, this, uh, that Man City is going to win the EPL. Are you comfortable saying that Dortmund's going to win the Bundesliga? No, but this is the first time where I'm definitely not comfortable saying Bayern are going to win it. You know, until recently, we still had this idea of, yeah, it's a race, but deep down, we all know how this story ends. I'm not so sure anymore because this coaching change has been an absolute disaster for Bayern. And, you know, we were talking, I think, last week on one of the pods about this performative aspect of Bayern Munich winning winning the uh, the Bundesliga title because they do it so much and really it's bigger things, especially uh, especially Champions League, UEFA Champions League. And, you know, now we're in a situation where it's one thing if you're, you know, performance arting, winning the title, but that's the very least that should be expected. If that goes away too, then you got a clean house, especially upstairs, that house upstairs with uh, Oliver Kahn and those types of guys. Out. Ouse. Uh, two more for you. Uh, Barcelona beat Atletico Madrid 1-0. Fred Antores with the only goal. That puts La Liga completely to bed. Mm-hmm. And Napoli won 1-0 away to Juventus. Napoli can clinch the title next weekend. It'll be their first Scudetto since the Maradona-inspired triumph in 1990. Although, the big news in Italy recently is that Juventus got their 15 points back on appeal. So, that's turned the top four race upside down. Absolutely crazy. Um, now there's another appeal that the points might get taken away again, but for now, at least they're in there. They're third. Uh, they're battling with the likes of Roma, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Lazio, and, and a couple of teams are going to be left out. And, you know, there's, there's major implications financially <laughs> from, from finishing up there in the, in the Champions League spots, uh, for Juventus. So my goodness, but I don't think there was ever... It's it's Italy, so nothing's ever really resolved. The guy who's been great on this is Mourinho. Yeah, he was interviewed recently, and he said, "You know, Juve are you guys are in third place." And he goes, "Are you sure we're in third place? It's not Juventus because I've been in Italy for a long time. I know how this works." Exactly. And then, sure enough, Juve got the points back, leapfrog Roma in the standings. And when Mourinho was asked about it, he said, "They got the points back three months ago when this process started." Right? Like, I'm not stupid. Like, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he understands. He, he understands it. All right. Well. Title races are good, uh, in my expert opinion. Uh, the more of them, the better, and we certainly have it going in the EPL and uh, and Bundesliga. It's it's gone when it comes to Spain uh, and when it comes to uh, to Italy, but there's still plenty. Uh, and at least in Italy, team. the team that's running away with it yep. is a great story. Yep, it's a great story. Uh, it's it yeah, it's it's really cool actually to to see them and. It's amazing. There are five Italian clubs left in the semifinals of the three competitions, and none of them is Napoli, the team that's running away with Syria. <laughs> yeah, but they will celebrate this, and, and right, rightfully so. I mean, I remember when, when I was playing back there many, many years ago, even then, it was made very clear to me by my teammates and then by the experience of going there that, yes, it is, yes, it is part of Italy and, and a proud part of Italy, but you know, it's in the South and they look at themselves in a very different way. I mean, you, you need look only, for example, to the way they treated Maradona and treat Maradona. And it, it's a very, they're incredibly protective of what that region and obviously what Napoli is. And so the pride and the celebrations are justified and I think are going to be off the hook. Absolutely. Uh, anything else, my friend? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, it's time for Ask Alexa. 
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point of the show where uh, you either ask us questions online on all the social media platforms using that hashtag Ask Alexi or Ask Mossy. But keep in mind that our social media handles out there are SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call in to our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That is 657-549-2297. What do we have this week, Mossy? Uh, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hello, this is Roman Lopez from Yakima, Washington. So on Ricardo Pepe with his um, club situation, I was wondering, would you think it would be a benefit for him to play for the U-20 US, uh, U.S. team in the U-20 World Cup? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Roman. Um, that's interesting because normally you would say that the opportunity for a young player to play in a Youth World Cup um, is something that you want to take advantage of because you are in the storefront window. There are plenty of teams that are <laughs> looking and shopping for young talent and that this would increase your cachet and your reputation and your credibility. I'm not sure that Pepe right now needs that. He's kind of done the, the club version of that where he went out on loan, he's scoring a boatload of goals, for a team that's struggling and kind of recaptured that. Now, look, it, does it hurt to go to a Youth World Cup and to star? No. But by the way, Masi explained to the folks he, he, is able, he is able to represent the U.S. because of uh, how, how young he is. Uh, what's the year that we are? So to, to play in an under-20 World Cup, you have to be under the age of 20 on January 1st of the calendar year in which... Uh, the tournament will be played. So Pepe was born January 9th, 2003. He didn't turn 20 until January 9th of this year. So he does just make the cut. So he is eligible. Yeah. So apart from the, you know, the, the pride and the experience of playing in a Youth World Cup, you know, there's the individual potential that exists from having a, a, a good World Cup. And, you know, that has to be weighed by the player. And nowadays, these are all professional players for the most part. And they have agents, they have representation, and they're strategic in picking and choosing. And so this isn't the full national team where I think that there's also a recognition of you're representing your country at the, at the full national team, uh, nas national team level. Uh, so, yeah, yes, he can. To answer your question, Roman, I don't think that he needs to. And I don't know if he wants to. What do you think? Well, first of all, the uh, under-20 World Cup that Roman is alluding to uh, takes place next month. It's in Argentina now. It was originally in Indonesia, but got taken away from them. Uh, the draw occurred for that tournament this past Friday. The U.S. Uh, was placed in a group with Ecuador, Fiji, and Slovakia. That tournament will come your way on Fox Sports. And yet we go through this every under 20 World Cup with the U.S. Uh, American fans, they're thirsting for some kind of global success, something outside of a CONCACAF context. And so they always talk themselves into players who deep down they know are probably past the point of playing in a Youth World Cup because they're already very much in the mix with the senior team. And they say, well, why don't we, quote unquote, go for it in this under 20 World Cup and send the absolute best possible team we can and maybe we'll win it and that'll be a nice feather in our cap. Um, it tends to not go that way because it, these decisions are made more based on players' development. And so you'd have to convince the player that there's actually a benefit to him playing in this tournament. And as you mentioned with Pepe, he might feel like he's beyond this and he feels like he should be starting for the U.S. senior team. Um, but we'll see. I, I've actually, I will say, Roman, I've heard crazier suggestions than this. I don't think Pepe is like so above this level that it would be crazy. I mean, I've heard in past cycles, people like Pulisic, who was already arguably the best player on the senior team, and people arguing that he should perhaps play in an under-20 World Cup. Pepe, it's not to that extent. But nevertheless, I do think he's probably beyond that point. Yeah, but, but winning a U-20 uh, men's World Cup, right? 
So how does the soccer world change? Winning a full World Cup in 2026 for the men, that is monumental and <laughs> would shake the foundations of what is, uh, what is going on. So the reason why I think we as Americans look to these youth teams is because at times we're, in, we're insecure. Uh, at, at times we're worried that we're not doing the right things to foster young talent. And this is ultimately where that young talent appears. And what we do is when there is success, and we've had limited over the years, but if there were to be the ultimate success of winning a, a in this case, it would be under Tony Men's World Cup, we would extrapolate it out and say, okay, this is what they've done at a younger age. Keep in mind that that's not always how it works. As a matter of fact, it doesn't work like that uh, the majority of time. I mean, you can look at plenty of youth teams that, and, and youth nations that have been really, really good, especially at the youth level. You can look at Africa also, plenty of uh, nations that have done things at a youth level, and they haven't been able to parlay that into success of the full national team, which ultimately is, is, is the goal. And I'm not saying that I don't want to win this, and I'm not saying I don't want to take a competitive team out, uh, out there, but it's not, a, it's not an elixir. It's not a magic bullet uh, even though I would, I would love to uh, love to see it happen, and there are plenty of really, really good players. I think, with or without Pepe, I think this is going to be a competitive team and one that I want to watch. It will be interesting to see once the squad is announced uh, how compliant MLS clubs are in releasing players, especially guys that are already key contributors for their clubs. So that's always a battle when it comes to youth level because the clubs are not obligated to release players for this tournament. They're not, but I, I think in that scenario, though, the asset that these clubs have can only be enhanced by a good youth World Cup. And when I say enhanced, what's the attraction? The attraction is that pathway and the eyes and therefore the opportunities of Europe. And when you say Europe, you mean money. And so these, these assets appreciate now a good World Cup. And now whatever eyes were upon them, now there's that much more. But more importantly, their price tag has just increased. Uh, if I may put my Brazil hat on here for one sure. second. Sure. Uh, Have I ever stopped you before? Go. The South American Under-17 Championship drew to a close this past weekend. This tournament was on Fox Sports, and if you follow Fox Soccer Twitter, they did a great job of covering it. Uh, Brazil ended up winning it, which is the only reason I brought it up. And the four teams that qualified for the Under-17 World Cup were Brazil, Ecuador, Argentina, and Venezuela. Uh, I don't think we're, we know yet where that tournament is going to take place. It was supposed to be in Peru later this year, but it was stripped from them, and they haven't announced a new location, I don't believe. Um, Ecuador, incidentally, had this phenom at this tournament, this 15-year-old kid, Kendri Paez, who's already signed with Chelsea. So he was kind of the big attraction. They were the hosts. A tournament took place in Ecuador, so there was a lot of buzz around this guy. And yeah, he's very good. Chelsea have got themselves... Uh... And listen, if Chelsea bought him, he must be good because Todd Bowley's not one to just throw money. Of course, at. right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a sure thing, basically. Yeah. Do do the Brazilians look at their youth national team performances in the same way that, that, that we do? I mean, do they attach meaning or significance, either, you know, uh, individual or collective? Uh, no. In fact... There's been a real like diminishing of uh, youth national teams from recent years that bothers me because the Brazilian soccer calendar is insane. And so given the existence of the state championships and it makes it where they play through all the FIFA windows. And so they invariably lose players during those FIFA windows and they resent the national teams for that rather than looking in the mirror and feeling like it's their own fault for having this crazy calendar. And so they take it out on the youth teams because they're not obligated to release those players. They almost never do. So uh, it's been this disturbing trend in recent years where Brazil has been not putting their best foot forward in these youth tournaments. They somehow won this, both the South American U20 and U17 championships this year despite of that but I, I, th for, ex for example there's a kid named Endrick who uh, is like the latest phenom in the assembly line he's already signed with Real Madrid he didn't play in either the South American U20 or U17 championships this year what's the point of developing a player like that if you never get to use him in a international context so that does uh, Boy, frustrate I really feel horrible for <laughs> in Brazil I really feel bad my friend um, anything else my friend uh, yes we have a Twitter question at Lance Wagner 6, uh, Wrexham win promotion. Very early prediction. Do they stay up or get relegated next season? Okay, so if, in case you missed it, <laughs> uh, Wrexham uh, achieved promotion. And uh, so they go into 
EFL two, if I'm not mistaken, uh, now next year. So congratulations to the team, obviously the uh, celebrity ownership, uh, and everybody that is invested either financially or, um, emotionally in this, uh, in this team. So, so a couple of things, um, as those of you that have listened to this show know, um, I have not watched the show and I, I'll be honest, I have not watched the team, but from what I've read, and I've certainly read plenty about the team, they have significantly increased their spending in an effort to gain uh, an advantage and to increase their chances of promotion, which is exactly <laughs> what happened. And so it worked. There is proof of concept in terms of uh, what uh, what they are doing. So I suppose going into the next league, and I certainly don't know a tremendous amount about EFL 2, I would suppose if they continue along those lines and they continue to spend more money and they continue to spend it smart, and they improve because theoretically this is a, obviously it is a level up, but theoretically it's going to be that much more competitive, then I would think that they can be competitive in this if they uh, continue to do what they are doing. But I don't know if they, if they stay up. You watched the show, right? Or I did. the show? No, I'm all in on this story. I think it's great. So yeah, this past weekend, Wrexham, they clinched the National League title, which means automatic promotion to League Two, which is the fourth tier. And I absolutely think it seems like those owners are still very invested. They're going to keep spending money. So I, I don't think they get uh, relegated. If anything, I think they're a strong candidates to get promoted again. You think? <laughs> yeah. But you think because they are just going to spend the money that it takes to hedge their bets to increase their chances? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, I will say this, though, because you know when this happened, <laughs> a bunch of people on Twitter were screaming and yelling at me and saying, "Hey, you see, this is this is why promotion relegation exists, and this is you know, and calling me names and doing all that more so than they do normally." And I don't look at this this story as you know a a proxy or a referendum on you know the uh, the the benefits and the positive nature of promotion relegation. This is, this is just a, a wonderful story. This is a wonderful story about what this has done for a team that's been around for ages, a team that has not been successful, and a team that has been raised. And when I say a team, it's not just a team. It's that community. It's that, <laughs> it's that area. It's the people. And you saw that joy, and you saw that excitement. Now, you can see people crying and you can see people emotional and you can see people celebrating and running around the streets with pride in any neck of the woods, uh, in any city. You don't need promotion and relegation to have that happen. And all of this pride and celebration, it's not relative to promotion and relegation. It's relative to success. It's relative to a wonderful story and a story that has been incredibly told. Uh, through the use of the show, an incredibly smart and shrewd marketing component of this show to give people a connection, sometimes a connection from thousands and thousands of miles away to a team that not only they have no connection to, that they never even heard of. So credit, you know, credit, uh, credit to them. But this doesn't change any of my feelings relative to the <laughs> evergreen and ongoing promotion relegation debate. This is the only country where this is a polarizing story. Everybody else is celebrating Wrexham, what a cool thing that's happening. But if you go on Twitter and you type Wrexham, because, you know, MLS folks are defensive because they view the celebration of Wrexham as, you know, the, an attack on their way of doing things. So it is interesting how this is, <laughs> this is the only country where it is kind of a polarizing story. It, look, it's, it's great. And as I said, I, I, I have no context when it comes to the actual show or watching this team. So it's all just seeing the, seeing the news and reading the, uh, the stories. And that's great. I can, I can recognize and I can celebrate one of these, one of these stories for, for what it is, which is just a, a, a great story. And keep in mind, you know, I know all about promotion and relegation. I have lived it. Okay. I know exactly what people are talking about. I know exactly 
how it feels. I know the pressure. I know the competition. I know the environment. And, but you can find moments like this of celebration. You can find moments of emotion. You can find moments of, you know, historic pride relative to sports teams that aren't involved in a, a, a league or a structure that has promotion relegation. And you can find soccer teams like that. And, you know, had the ownership of Wrexham bought, you know, a USL two team or so, you know, a small soccer team that existed in a local community, they could have had that done in whatever, you know, town that that would have been in. They could have won the title. They could have had success. They could have, you know, changed the way people think about that team and therefore think about their city, even without, you know, the, uh, the promotion relegation structure being around it. It's not, I don't think that, I don't think the two uh, of them are ultimately tied together. It's just a wonderful story and one that I think deserves to be highlighted and deserves to be, uh, to be celebrated. Um, anything else, Masi? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, I'll give you my one for the room. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road. You know, uh, a few days ago, uh, Masi, I was uh, on that Twitter machine again, and uh, someone was talking or asking me about uh, AI. You know that AI thing, the uh, artificial intelligence out there, and uh, all the things that are happening, and all the uh, computers taking over things? You, you heard about this, right? So someone was asking me about how they think, because if it's going to take over everything, then obviously soccer is part of that. How is AI going to play a part going forward? And certainly, I certainly don't claim to be an expert when it comes to the technology and all of the uh, the capabilities. But you know, I can read and I can see, and I've I've been around a while, and I have certainly lived through moments where technology that would you know, blow people's mind uh, has taken over and ultimately been harnessed by by humans. And so when I think about the future of the game, I know sometimes in the past on the on this pod we've talked about rule changes and what you know what's going to change what's going to change the game. Um, I think that you know whether it's the US national team or any club team uh, out there or any national team out there or any team in general because it is tangible and it's there and it's there to be utilized like any other technology, you know, analytics and all the different things that have come into play, I think when it comes to game planning and tactics and scenarios and, poss and possibilities and scouting and all of these different things, I think it really is limitless in, in terms of how you can incorporate something like AI into a soccer situation. Does it ultimately get to a point where machines are making decisions that in the past humans were making? Maybe. But I think as long as we are around, and, that, <laughs> and we're still around for, when I say we, I mean uh, humans, and I can confirm that I am one too. I think that what you're just going to see happen is more information. I don't know if it becomes information overload at a certain point, but more information that therefore enables humans to make a more informed decision. And whether it's lineups, whether it's players to sign, whether it's you know, off the field and how to access fans, where, what direction to go in, marketing, all of these, all of these different things, you know, the ability to not just do things quicker, but to do things more targeted and therefore more effective everybody's been looking at that looking at that forever will it mean that jobs will be phased out 
potentially, like in any industry as it develops and it, and it evolves. Um, but it also means that you're still going to have to have people um, that are going to be able to access this and understand it. And like anything, the ones that are able to interpret it the best and use it to their advantage are the ones that are going to get the benefit and have that uh, that head start against uh, relative to uh, to everybody else. I would think that there are already very smart people within organizations that are looking at this technology going forward and are trying to theorize and then put in practice how they are going to use it. And if you're not, then you're probably not doing, if that's, if that is your job is to figure out these things, then you're probably not doing your job. And by the time that you do figure it out, the others will have gained a significant uh, advantage. I don't think, at least from a sporting perspective, it is necessarily something to be wary of or scared of. But, you know, I do think that our game, uh, you know, I know I'm not supposed to say our game, but the game of soccer, and by the way, not just the game of soccer, but sports in general, are going to look very, very different. And I'm not just talking about 100 years down the line. I'm talking about two years down the line, five years down the line, when, you know, hopefully we're still around. And that's, again, not anything to fear. I think it's actually something to be excited about uh, going forward. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. That? You don't want anything to say? All right. That's cool. That's cool. Um, well, thank you. Uh, for uh, for checking in with us here on the uh, first pod of the week. Thank you for reviewing and downloading and subscribing and rating and doing all the different things that you do and have done to make this podcast a success. And it is a, a, a success, but we don't rest on our laurels. We continue on. And that's why we have opportunities for you to let us know what you're thinking. And whether it's using that hashtag out there and getting uh, to us on social media or whether it's calling in. And you know, while the, while the State of the Union podcast hotline Again, 657 uh, 5492297. While it is oftentimes used for, uh, for questions, it's also there to, to, to stir debate. And so if you have a comment um, or a suggestion out there, that is certainly uh, something that we want to hear too. But that people are uh, accessing that uh, makes us very, very happy. All right, we'll be uh, back again here uh, later on in the week with our second one, all sorts of games to talk about and things that are happening in the next couple of days, not the least of which is a big game happening over there in uh, the EPL and CONCACAF Champions League, all sorts of stuff. But until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.